0: Good evening, how's everybody doing? Just fine. Good. It's my first time here, so I'm excited. This is cool. (laughs) High schoolers usually have um, Bible study on Sunday nights, so that's why I'm usually absent. So it's really good to be here, and thanks, Seth, for the introduction. Um, Let me pray to begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight that we can come together um, as your church, and we can worship you. We can recite things that are true, things that are glorifying to you. God, thank you for everybody in this room. Thank you for the stories that you're writing us. God, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you would have for us tonight. God, if there's anything that I say that's not helpful, I pray that it would be forgotten. If there's anything that I say that's good and true and glorifying to you, Lord, I pray that it would be remembered and that you would use it um, you would edify us with it and that you would sharpen us with it. God, we love you so much. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the title of what we're of the talk tonight is Seeing Your Need. And it's Psalm thirteen, Matthew 26, 6 through 13. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm thirteen, I'm gonna I'm gonna begin by reading the whole Psalm. It's it's not that long, and so it's only six verses. But it's a great psalm. It's one of my favorites, and I'll explain why here in a little bit. So Psalm 13. And while you're turning there, if I start to wander away from the podium, maybe like whistle at me or something, because I'm not used to having a podium, so I'm used to just kind of wandering around up front in front of the high schoolers. So Gene, you'll help me out with that, right? Okay, good. All right, here's God's Word. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. That's Psalm 13. I love this psalm for a handful of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons why I return to this psalm over and over and over again is because it is a beautiful example of how we can be transparent before God. It's a beautiful example about how we can come to God with our needs and we can be honest with Him about them. Right? And in the world that we live in, being needy is, is not really something that we want to kind of let people know about, right? Being needy is, is kind of seen as a burdensome thing, right? And, and so we're maybe hesitant to see our own need and acknowledge it to ourselves. We're even more hesitant to acknowledge it to the people around us that we love and trust. And we're maybe even most hesitant to do what David did here and to be um, transparent and to acknowledge our need before God. So what I want to talk about tonight is how we can, like David, confidently express our need to the Lord. And when we do that, we give God the opportunity. God can do whatever He wants, but when we express our need before God, we give God the opportunity to do something beautiful in us, And when we fail to express our need before God, we're really missing out on something really, really good. So, some reasons why we maybe have a hard time seeing ourselves as needy, okay? The first reason, the world that we live in, the culture that we're surrounded by, um, sees neediness as a burden, right? We don't want to walk around and tell people that we're needy. Because uh, we we don't want to be a burden to anybody. We don't want to weigh anybody down. Our culture sees um, being needy as a weakness, right? We don't want to be seen as weak. We don't want to be seen as somebody who doesn't have all the answers. We don't want to be seen as dumb. And so we're hesitant to be upfront and transparent with our neediness, and we're hesitant to acknowledge our neediness before God, because we don't want to be ridiculed. We don't want to be shamed. Another reason why we might be hesitant to acknowledge our neediness. Um, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where um, if you were feeling anything negative, lonely, anger, angry, um, sometimes sad, so if, if you were you know, transparent about your needs, there was kind of an unspoken rule in my family that that was just a little too much. Right? And maybe go to your room until you stop feeling that way. Or, or maybe, um, you know, kind of push it under the rug until you forget about it and until everybody else forgets about it, right? Or just be as happy as you can be as quickly as possible. My parents never said that to me, and I have really, really great parents. My parents are awesome. Um, and only our Heavenly Father is perfect. So our, my, one of the mistakes my parents made is they sort of passively taught me to. Not be upfront with my needs. And so I didn't want to be upfront with my needs to myself or to my family or to my friends or to God because I was afraid of being rejected and feeling lonely in that. Maybe that's your story, maybe not. But here's the most important reason, um, possible reason of why we do not acknowledge our need to ourselves and to others and especially to God. So we feel like God might be disappointed in us. We don't want to be honest about what's going on in our heart. We don't, we don't want to be honest, like David here, about our doubts, about our loneliness to God, because we feel like God's going to be disappointed. We feel like God's going to shame us, or we feel like we're not performing well for God. But like I said earlier, if we fail to see our need for what it truly is, like David in the psalm, he's so honest with God. And if we fail to do that, we miss out on giving God the opportunity to point us to something greater outside of ourselves. So how does God see us in our need? Before I get into that, I think there's really kind of two types of needs there's inherent need and there's need that we have because of our sinfulness and before the fall we were needy god didn't create us to be self-sufficient he didn't create us to have all the answers and to live independently of him but he created us to need him to be dependent on him right so we've always, since the beginning of time, have, have been created and we're supposed to have needs. And we're supposed to be needy, that we could, um, we could bring those needs before God and God would meet us where we are. right? And then in Genesis 3, the fall enters in and sin comes into the picture and death comes into the picture. And a different kind of need comes in. And like I said, this is a need that's due to our sinfulness and due to the fallen world that we live in. And these are needs like discontentment and doubt and loneliness that we wouldn't feel um, if it wasn't for the fall, right? Needs that we weren't supposed to have previous to the fall. But with both of these kinds of needs, we can, like David in Psalm 13, confidently come before the Lord with those things. Raise your hand if you've ever felt lonely. Raise your hand if you've ever um, felt hurt because of how somebody wronged you. Okay, here's an easy one. Raise your hand if you've ever been hungry. I forgot to eat dinner before. I didn't forget. I just didn't. Right? I'm hungry right now. We all have needs. And so we all have needs that we can bring and that we should bring before the Lord. But the, the question that changes everything, the answer that changes everything is the answer to this question, how does God respond to our need? Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. Matthew 26, 6 through 13. We'll let you all turn there. It says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Verse 10 But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. So there's a much bigger picture going on here, right? Verse 13. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And how do we know that to be true? Because we're talking about it tonight, right? Isn't that amazing? And so there's so many directions we could go with a passage like this. Right? It's such a beautiful account in Jesus' life and in his ministry. But this is, this is what I want to focus in on. This woman comes before Jesus not in a posture of boastfulness, not in a posture of having all the answers and having it all together, right? She comes before Jesus in a posture of vulnerability, in a posture that's keenly aware of her neediness. And she literally and figuratively pours out all she has at the feet of Jesus. Right? And how do the people around her respond? Some of them shame her. They say, why why would you do that? You could have sold that. You could have given it to the poor. And we see in other accounts that this was Judas saying that, and we know kind of where he ends up, right? So we know his intentions in saying that, his greed for money. People are like, why why would you do that? That is such a bizarre thing. That is such a waste. So in her neediness, like some of us maybe have experienced, I'm willing to bet a lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us have experienced something like this. In her neediness, neediness, in her vulnerability, she is being rejected by the onlookers and she is being criticized and shamed by the people looking on. Right? But how does Jesus respond? Jesus lifts her up and he says, What you have done is a beautiful thing. I love Jesus. I love that he speaks like this. She comes a mess. Full of need. Just a needy person. And in the words of the high schoolers that I work with, she is extra. That's that's what that's called, extra. Right? And Jesus looks at her and says, what she has done is a beautiful thing. She's prepared me for my burial. And what she has done will be talked about wherever the gospel is proclaimed, just like we're doing right now. So how does God respond to us in our need? He lifts us up. He meets us where we are. He hears us. And David knew that. He comes before God full of doubt. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He is taking the gloves off. He is being so real with God. And he's not disrespecting God, he just knows with full confidence and full assurance that we have a God that hears us and that cares about us. And he's real with God and he's open about his need and he's open about his doubt. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's in a desperate place. But then in verse 5 and verse 6, there's kind of a key change. As we see, this happens a lot in the Psalms of David. Verse 5 says, he kind of changes key and he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So, how does David begin in doubt? And then in proclaiming what we see Him proclaim in verses 5 and 6. I think it's because God does something beautiful when we come before Him with our need and when we're honest with Him about our need. Okay, I'm going to use the whiteboard now, so I'm going to walk away from the mic, and then I'm going to come back, all right? I'm not leaving. So we proclaim our need to God, all right? So it starts with need. Need. Can you all still hear me? Everybody? Okay, good. It starts with our need. We come before God We say, God, this is where I am. I do not have it all together. I'm lonely. I'm I'm having this doubt. God, I'm struggling to pray. I'm struggling to open up my Bible. I'm struggling to love this person. I'm, I'm lonely. I'm insecure. Whatever it may be, we come to God with our need and we see because of Psalm 13 and because of the count we saw in Matthew that we can confidently come before God in our need. Okay? And so this need, this expression of need to God should lead us to gratitude. Okay? So we come before God in our need and how does that lead to gratitude? It leads to gratitude... Because when we're honest with God about our need, we can't understand how amazing the grace of God is until we look at our need square in the eyes. right? We can't understand how beautiful the gospel of Jesus Christ is until we understand how sinful we are. And when we do that, when we express our need to the Lord, we're filled with gratitude because we open up Scripture and we see things like this. That God is slow to anger and that he's abounding in steadfast love. Or we read verses like this. For there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we're filled with wonder and we're filled with gratitude. We've come to God with our need and then we're filled with gratitude because he meets us where we are. And he doesn't shame us. He doesn't ridicule us, he doesn't reject us, he doesn't turn us away. He doesn't say get it together and then come back when you got things figured out. Right? He meets us where we are and he loves us. And so we feel gratitude swell up within us. And I think that's this is what happened, this is what's happening in David's heart in Psalm 13. He's honest with God about his doubt and then he reminds himself of what's true. And he's filled with gratitude. And then gratitude leads to love. We say, God, you hear me. You, you, you will take the time to listen to me when I come to you in my lowliest state. You will take the time. And slow down and hear my, my, my need as I bring it before you? God, I'm filled with gratitude because of that. You love me so much. I didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, I don't deserve it at all. I deserve condemnation. But you meet me where I am, and you love me while... You died for me while I was still a sinner, while I was still needy. Okay, And so this leads to love because we're filled with gratitude and we say, God, you loved me first and I want to respond to that by loving you back. God, I'm not just going to say thanks and then walk away. You are so good to me. I love you. Right? We're filled with gratitude and then we're compelled to love God and then this love swells up within us, and it leads to obedience. Did I spell that right? When I when I spell in front of people, I get it get it wrong. Is that right, Seth? That would have been embarrassing. Just kidding. Y'all should be glad that I didn't try to spell the word sacrifice. I always spell that word wrong. Okay. We come to God with our need. We're filled with gratitude because he meets us where we are and he loves us. He loves us for who we are, not for who we should be, because we're never going to be as we should be on this side of heaven. That's what Brennan Manning says. And so we're filled with love. God You feel that way about me? God, you died for me? I love you. You first loved me. I want to love you back. And this isn't a complacent love. This isn't a love in some vague general sense. This is a love that leads to sacrifice and leads to obedience. God, I want to be a living sacrifice for you, as it says in Romans 12. Because you loved me so much, I want to love you back, and I want to be obedient. I I want to follow you. I want you to take the wheel. I want you to take the reins in my life. I want you to write my story. I don't want the story that I want for myself. I want the story that you want for me. I want to be obedient. I want to go wherever you want me to go, okay? I want to sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice to be obedient to you and to love you and to follow your commandments the way that you're calling me to do so. And what is so sad is that some of us get this totally backwards. Some of us come before the Lord, and even even those of us who know the gospel, there's just something hardwired in us since the fall that we just wander back to this mindset where we want to perform for God. We want to play some type of game with God. We want to earn His love. We want to earn um, His forgiveness. And We want to somehow perform well enough so that we can have God's approval. right? So we, we flip this around. We we say, God, I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm, I'm going to perform for you, and I'm going to sacrifice all this stuff for you. I'm going to give everything away. I'm going to follow you. Radically, and then you're going to love me. Then I'm going to be good enough. Um, I can't remember the statistic, but it's a high one. And it was students who graduate high school and then go to college and leave the faith in their first year of college. One of the biggest reasons why they do that is because they feel like they can't have struggles and be a Christian at the same time. They're clearly not reading their Bibles, because there's a, there's a lot of messed up people in the Bible who love the Lord and who are faithful, right? But they feel like they can't have struggles and be a Christian at the same time. That is so sad, and it's not just students. There's a, just, that's just a human problem that a lot of us fall into. We feel like God's not going to accept us if we're not performing well. And that's so sad. And one of the reasons why that's so sad and why that's such a bankrupt way to live your life is because, and this is true with human relationships and with our relationship with God, if we feel like we have to perform for somebody in order to get their approval or to get their acceptance, down the line, sooner or later, we are going to start resenting that person. So I see high schoolers all the time who do the church thing. They, they kind of play that game. They go to church on Sundays with their parents and church on Wednesday nights even. And they go to college and they leave the faith. They walk away. Why? Because they were performing for God and they get to college and they don't have a reason to do that anymore. And they're probably resenting God. So it's easy to walk away. If only they look the gospel in the eyes and they see that we have a God That we can be honest with. We can come before Him in our needy state. And we can be transparent and we can pray real prayers to Him about where we really are. As G.K. Chesterton says, we can see that we are beggars, all. All of us are beggars. But God meets us there and He fills our cup. And we're filled with gratitude. That gratitude leads to love, and then comes obedience and sacrifice, not the other way around. So when we're honest with God about where we really are, like we see David do all throughout the book of Psalms, and like we see Jesus' followers do all throughout the New Testament, we're honest with God about where we are, through confession, We open the door for God to do something beautiful with our need, right? We're pointed to something much greater than ourselves. We're pointed to the love of God in Christ Jesus. And like David in Psalm 13, we're not just stuck in our need, right? And there's going to be needs that we're going to have for the rest of our life. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. There's, there's going to be needs that are never met on the side of heaven. But like Job, at the end of the book of Job, he says, I thought that I knew you, but now I see you face to face. God didn't give him all the answers to his questions. God gave him himself. And that's exactly what he does to us in our need. And that is all that we need. So be honest with God, see your need, express it to Him, and God will point you to something bigger so that we can pray like David did in verse 5 and verse 6 of chapter 13 in the Psalms. We can come to God with our need, but then we can be pointed to a truth like this. We can wrap up our prayers in a similar fashion. We can say, God, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. It's never-ending. It's not dependent on my performance. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. God, that salvation is not earned, but it's a free gift despite my neediness. In verse 6, we can say, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. When we express our need to God, we will surely see that we have a God that deals bountifully with us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that when we open up our Bible, we see who you truly are. God, there's there's so many voices in our lives there's so much noise all around us there's so much discouragement all around us god and it can it can leave us feeling rejected and alone in our need but god you meet us where we are and you love us and through jesus you made a way to forgive us you made a way to extend grace to us and to stoop down and to lift us up out of the pit that we're in and our need lord you hear us and that that fills us up with gratitude and we want to love you because of how you first loved us lord and god we want that love to lead us to obedience and to sacrifice all for your glory Not because we have to, to earn your approval, but because we get to. Because we want to, because of how you love us. Father, once again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the music that we got to sing tonight. Thank you for everybody in this room. We love you so much. And all God's people said.